0: Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860, located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded, where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Father, we want to thank you so much that you put us together here, Lord, on this Sunday. Lord, to be able to dive into your word, and I ask that uh, as, Lord, we dive into the book that we're going to read today, you would change hearts today, that you would open up our minds and our souls to hear what you want to tell us, Lord. Uh, Let not my words come out, but just your words, through me, be edified, and um, break into the hearts of the people here, Lord. Help us all, Lord, and uh, we want to thank you so much for the privilege to be here together. Without persecution, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. <laughs> good morning. So, first order of business is me and my wife match. <laughs> it was uh, a brilliant idea. And uh, I think it was last week that we talked a little bit about Family 860. Pastor Chris came up and he was wearing his uh, Hawaiian shirt because when he went to Hawaii, he got sure representing Ohana and Ohana means family and what does family mean anyone see Lilo and Stitch <laughs> nobody gets left behind yeah. yeah so except he left the family the church family behind <laughs> Hawaii right Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah well that's the thing well he's not in Hawaii he's uh, doing his mission trip in Alaska so we'll be praying for him and you get to hang out with me for a couple weeks. And we're going to be diving into the book of Titus. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open that up. If you're curious, the New Testament, if you find any T-letter book in the New Testament, you found a group of T's. And if you go to the last book with the letter T, that's Titus. You'll have first to 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, and Titus. So, that's a fun fact for you today. <laughs> All right, so let's get going. hope you guys are enjoying the unplugged version of Church 860. It also makes tear down much easier. appreciate all the Yes, absolutely. And another thought, I also, um, we also moved yesterday, and I also want to thank everybody who came out and helped us move. It was a big help, and you have no idea the challenges that that take that that takes on for us and having people to take those challenges on with us makes that challenge a lot more easier so thank you uh, for those of you who came out to help us out it was a true blessing it really was so if uh if you turn your books to the the book of titus and a lot of us use ipads and iphones now so i don't know how relevant that is you mm-hmm. kind of just click, right yeah um, the book of titus is essentially a book written by paul Um, specifically to Titus. And there are three books like, no, there's two books like Titus, three books in total in the New Testament that we call the pastoral epistles. And Titus is one of these epistles. What does that mean? When Paul wrote this letter, it wasn't meant for the entire congregation of the church at Titus leads, and I'm going to talk about what church that is in just a couple of seconds. But this is specifically to Titus. It's almost, he didn't know that the letters he was writing was going to end up in the Bible being the number one selling copy uh, book for all the world to hear and see. It was a personal letter. So when we read into it, we're going to see very personal um, discussions and things that he's recommending, and this is to a young pastor, someone he has established. Uh, Titus most likely came along with Paul along one of his journeys as we kind of get a little bit of a glimpse of in the book of Acts. His name is mentioned here and there and then we'll see later on that Titus is left in the island of Crete to establish and grow a church. He's the lead bishop of that area Um, and this letter is to encourage him. It's to see what the things that Titus is, the challenges he's facing Paul addresses those things. And he also provides him lots of encouragement. Another fun fact is we're actually going through 1st and 2nd Timothy in the, in the men's meetings, and we've kind of seen this overwhelming theme of Timothy, 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 you are timid. Uh, I see you're struggling, and we want to provide you encouragement. Don't be brave. Uh, We kind of get the idea that Timothy's rather sickly, he has some stomach problems, he's weak, but Paul's encouraging him to have the authority of the Lord, not to just use your build, your personality, which is meek and doesn't have that authoritative kind of personality to him, but Paul gives him the encouragement to take that authority anyway. This is completely different. Titus, we get the feeling is, more established in his faith. He has matured. He's taking on a larger challenge, debatably, than what Timothy's going through. They're very different, mind you. However, you kind of get the the sense as you're seeing these personal letters, and the personal letter has what, like a certain style to it, right? When you're writing to your co-worker, you're gonna have like a professional, very, form a way of speaking. as when you're talking to your best friend. Your best friend is gonna have more informalities, isn't it, it's gonna be more laid back. You get those differences. This is gonna be a lot more to the meat, to the bones, and cut in no corners, and we're not gonna make any fluff in here. So, this may end up being what we call a, a congregation reduction service, where you may not wanna come back next week. But I hope that your heart is soft. And here's what we gotta say, and you'll uh, be back anyway. We get the second half. So, let's go in. Uh, we're gonna start in. Let's start in chapter one, verse one. Does that sound good? <laughs> All right. Verse one. Here we go. Paul, a bond servant of God, and an apostle of <coughs> Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began but has in due time manifested his word through preaching which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Wow, Paul, that was a mouthful. This is literally just the two line, the to and from on your envelope when you send a letter out in the mail, to and from. He says, Paul, a bond servant of God, writes a paragraph. To Titus, writes a paragraph. And from just that, we can already take a lot of the meat and bones from that. So let's digest it. Let's pull it apart. Starting with Paul, a bond servant of God. What does it mean to be a bond servant? That's someone who gives himself up wholly for another's will, devoted to another, to the disregard of one's own interest. In other words, doulos, are you guys familiar with that word doulos, have you heard it before? It is the interpretation in the Greek of what it means to be agapes, uh, serving someone else. And I'll get into a little bit more about what it means later in the chapter. So I wanna dive in, but I'm gonna hold off just a little bit. But doulos means to put aside your own plans, your ambitions, put aside your own temptations, put aside your possessions, your stature, cashing it all in for God's plan. And that means regardless of your own life, regardless of what that looks like, regardless of the path it takes you down, that's what doulos means. Put that in context. What if God's plans are to make you uncomfortable? What if God's plans is to make you, um, give you a heart to go out into the mission field and live in a tent and live off the land rather than a cozy home here in Ohio? What if that's God's plans? Are you doulos enough to say, God, I'm putting my life aside. I'm gonna be a bondservant to you and I'll take on whatever that for me. That's what that means. That's a boss. Moving along. According to the faith of God's elect. And I like that, that word um, according in the NIV. You have the NIV pulled up, Andrew? Can you tell me what according is? Uh, uh, it's a fruit of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Thank that you. Perfect. Further. To further the faith of God's elect. Is that word according to me? I I don't have the best vocabulary. My wife would tell you that. I got dumb sometimes. And when I translate it to further, it's telling me that all this is to promote their faith. It's to get it better, right? (coughs) Now, who is God's elect? This is absolutely gorgeous it's fun when we're when i was digesting it and reading into it and i'm going to share it with you you guys are going to absolutely love it who is god's elect let's pull some verses out from the old testament first this is isaiah 45 verse 4 says for jacob my servant's sake and israel my elect i have even called you by name isaiah 65 verse 9 i will bring forth descendants from jacob and from Judah, an heir of my mountains, my elect shall inherit it. My elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. However, Matthew chapter 24, verse 24 things change, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Mark 13, 27. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect. I'll read that again he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven last one promise but this is the best one what then this is romans 11 verse 7 then he will send his angel oh sorry i read that one sorry what then israel has not obtained what it seeks one more time israel has not obtained what it seeks but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. I don't know if you caught that. Let me explain. In the Old Testament, the elect is referred to as God's children, Israel. In the New Testament, God's elect are referred to as us. Exactly. What happened? What changed? Exactly. Israel didn't accept them Jesus then had to die on the cross for the sins of the entire world if you're interested if this topic interests you look into Romans 11 read the whole thing it is an amazing piece of scripture that dives into what it means to be part of God's elect how Israel rejected them and how that means for us we get access to the salvation of Jesus Christ through that amazing gotta read into it should be a bestseller. All right. so the difference is the resurrection of Jesus Christ let's move on though reading verse 2 now in hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised before time began but has in due time manifested his word through preaching which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. What are you saying, Paul? He's kind of right in line, parallel to what John chapter 1 verse 1 says. What does it say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right there. He's saying that the promises of God have always existed. They've always been there. And through time he's revealed them to us we just as he revealed them in Genesis in the book of Daniel and in revelation of things to come his promises are always there and he cont- continues to reveal them through time and it's our obligation and keep this in mind when Paul's writing this there is no New Testament he's writing the New Testament so how do you share the Word of God once it's been revealed to us? By the preaching. Where is it? Here? Yes, here we go. Manifested His Word through preaching, was, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. The commandment of God our Savior. That means we are obligated, we are instructed. We are encouraged to share God's Word as He reveals it to us. Go out and make disciples of all nations, right? Isn't that the great, uh, the great commandment, the great commission? It's our duty. All right, give me a second. I'm switching from paper to electronic now, so that's going to give me a moment. Keeping that idea in mind, I want you to look at this verse. And here it is. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, which says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though we were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. I'll say it one more time. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though we are pleading through us. We implore you to on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. God is going to use whoever and whatever He wants to complete His will. We know that because Proverbs 16, verse 4 tells us, the Lord has made all for Himself. Yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. We kind of touched up on this in one of the men's meetings and uh, I want to share it with you. So we thought of, but now, me and Andrew, we talking about it the first time. I thought it was hilarious, and uh, <laughs> put it this way: if God is going to use you, why not have Him use you in a positive sense, right? The Bible has comedy gold, and let's let's write that down. It's Second Timothy chapter two verse twenty, which says, "But in, great, in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honor." And some for dishonor therefore if anyone cleanses himself from the latter he will be a vessel of honor sanctified and useful for the master prepared for every good work first time i read this i thought vessel of dishonor that is the porcelain throne (laughs) to be a be a vessel of honor don't be the porcelain throne vessel of dishonor (laughs) well we talked about it more it may not mean that but I like to think it is. Because the idea is there anyway. If God's going to use you, participate, right? Seek his word, and he'll use you in a positive light. If not, he'll make a foolish example of you. And he'll use you like that too. That's the moral of the story. Don't be a dishonorable vessel. Nobody wants to deal with that problem. <laughs> <laughs> And all that is just the front of the envelope, to and from. That's it. It took us that long to get through that. So now the actual letter, right? Verse four. To Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Grace, mercy, and peace See, traditionally, Paul opens up his letters with just grace and peace. But in Titus 1 and 2 Timothy, which are the pastoral epistles, he throws mercy in there. Why do you think he needs to throw mercy in? Well, because they need it. You're going to need mercy, leaving these churches. It's almost like he's writing these. Letters and Timothy and Titus are biting their nails. What do we do, Paul? These issues we're having. And we're gonna read about what those issues are. But then uh, help us. Mercy. Mercy for you. And that's beautiful. I love a little bit of mercy. I could take some mercy anytime, any day. Really. I need it. And I'm sure Titus and Timothy are thinking the exact same way. So um Both Titus and Timothy are probably under extreme pressure from a rapidly growing church. It's around 64 AD when they're uh, under the persecution of Nero Caesar. And we know that they're under extreme pressure by the next verse. And we'll read it now. Verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set order, the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you." Appoint elders in every city as I commanded uh, commanded you. That gives us a better idea of what their church looks like. Do you think Titus was the head, a pastoral head, of one church, one congregation, where everyone sat in a room just like this, or even a little bigger, and he spoke and, and that was the church? Not the case. This is an entire island. He establishes, put it this way, this is like the Pope of Crete. There are multiple churches. There are churches everywhere. But Titus is designated as the leader to appoint sub-pastors. And this entire book is about how to find those elders, how to find the right person. And the reason we need to do that is because of false Doctrine, false doctrine was flourishing this time in age, and even today, isn't it? I'll talk a little bit about what false doctrine looks about today. But it's for that reason that we need to look through the book of Titus and understand what does it mean to be a good leader. What does it mean to be a good elder? If you have ambitions to have any leadership roles within a church, or even maybe even starting your own family, you need to have that leadership skills. And these leadership skills. And these leadership qualities are what we're going to talk about. That's what Paul is describing to Titus. So, here we go. And this is where we, uh, we start getting to the nitty-gritty. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. We discussed the Book of Titus is one of three pastoral epistles. And the direction and words we're going to read in this book are personal. And it's going to help them make these pastoral decisions. That means cutting people out. There are lots of people who have ambitions to participate in some sort of church leadership roles. So what do you do? You just say, yeah, come on up. Uh, you've been coming to church for two weeks and you want to teach, come on up you believe the next one. You can't do that. You can't. You don't know what that person has been taught. That being said, just because someone loves Christ, it's very possible that the way they were taught was incorrect. It was false doctrine. Yeah, I love Jesus, but I don't believe that Jesus really died on the cross. He was just a prophet. He wasn't really God or Savior. And to be able to People like that and figure out what their true beliefs are. Do they they, they truly have a heart of gold? Not a heart of gold. A heart after God who believes that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and resurrected on the third day, conquering sin. Okay, keep going. A man is blameless. All these words here are examples of what appointed elders of the church should look like. We are, in a sense, appointed elders. If not our church, then our families. Maybe at work, maybe you, ha- or maybe you want to obtain one of these uh, levels of responsibility at some point in your in your life. The book of James, chapter three, tells us that teachers will be judged more strictly. But we know that the goal of every Christian is to model themselves after the person of Jesus regardless of your leadership roles in your life. As impossible as that is, we aim for a sinless life as Christians. So I want us to apply these characteristics to our own lives, within our families, and just prepare yourselves if you plan to. That being said, men, you are accountable to be leaders for your families, to be faithful to your wives, one wife, that's it called to remain above reproach when presented with temptation and able to remain faithful in our marriages. We carry a heavy responsibility. Sorry, give me a second. We carry a heavy responsibility of maintaining integrity and setting examples for our children. And Satan knows how to attack us as Christians. He aims for our weaknesses. He doesn't (coughs) aim for our strengths. And if faithfulness is your weakness here today, you can take those temptations to the cross. That's the only way to beat it. 1 Corinthians chapter ten verse thirteen says, "God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it." That means anytime you find yourself in a questionable situation where you're going to be put in a spot where your leadership is going to be compromised, where you're going to be faced with a temptation, where that very verse a man, of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. When you get that temptation, take it to the cross. Ask him for help. What father doesn't want to bless his own son? He'll be there for you. Just ask. In addition, Paul mentions the relationship between a father and his children. Let me be clear. There is no such thing as a perfect child. Joey. Joey. Every child and person Is born with sin I saw it the moment he came out Of his mother's womb He was crying and hollering I'm like, oh, you're a little sinner <laughs> See, everyone is going to struggle at some point But what Paul is saying here is, fathers and leaders of our families We need to maintain control of our families when our children are out of line, you can establish ground rules, maintain them, and ensure discipline. That's your role. Paul is saying, Titus, make sure that the leaders you choose, if fathers, do not have children who run them. Children who bend the rules and are not disciplined, are told how they disobeyed, that's no bueno. If a father who can't establish order in his own home, how can they be expected to establish order within a church? How can they be expected to manage a family and an entire congregation? We, talk, we brought this topic up a couple of weeks ago in the men's meeting, and something Pastor Chris mentioned is our first ministry should be the ministry at home. Our family is our first ministry, church is second ministry. Make sure you have your family in order before you put in the time, the effort, and the sacrifice it takes to put in work here. Keep things in order at home first. So men be examples of faithfulness, love, structure, and authority in our family, in your family, Verse 7. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self willed, not quick tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. I want to take a second to think about a couple of these attributes. Blameless. We ought to be blameless. You may be here or watching online and thinking, Look, Danny, you can't be blameless. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've gone through. It's bad. It's unforgivable things. I'm not blameless. But let me tell you something. Blameless doesn't mean you've never sinned. Blameless means that you've taken your sin to the cross. You've asked for forgiveness, and by God's eyes, it's as if it you never did. You just gotta ask. For it. That's blameless. The problem is when we hold on to our sin and we live on to this, we live this double life as I'm a Christian but I love my addiction. I'm a Christian, but it's all about the money. I'm a Christian, but you fill in the blank. To be blameless, it means God, your sacrifice, his death, so I can live is enough for me to put everything else aside. That's blameless. Next is quick temper. Guys, I find myself struggling with this one a lot. Especially at home. Quick temper, it's not something I'm often, that I'm used to struggling with. But, I mean, with a new baby, it, it happens. And, If we can get personal right now, this derives from the enemy's attack, especially when it's peaking at home. Husbands, when you're in the car and the kids are crying and your wife is upset and something you did, someone says that one thing where you just want to snap I've been there. And at that point, can you keep your temperament? and you had the self-control <sighs> to hold it back. It was a few days after me and Valerie got home from the hospital with the baby Joey and there were consecutive nights where Joey slept all slept all day, and when it was time to go to bed, he cried all night. It, uh, no clean diaper, no buffet of milk, no lullaby could put the child to sleep. Um, he screamed harder when you put him in his crib, just to let you guys know. And at three a.m., when my eyes were heavy, and he's just wailing, over the next hour, I wanted to pull my hair out and lock him in a box. <laughs> yeah. All is, I didn't have a box. <laughs> <laughs> I also couldn't. I knew if I snapped at that moment, that would be a poor example of self-control and my leadership qualities to my wife. If I can't be her rock, how can I expect her to be I need to set the example at home. So it's important for me as a leader of our household to show self-control and show good temperament as an example to my subordinates, my children, my wife, And I'm accountable to God. That's my boss. Likewise, there have been countless times where uh, Val Val and I don't have fights. We don't fight. We have intense moments of fellowship. (laughs) 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 And it's you said this, and I said that, and, and you're a that, and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes I break, sometimes I forget, to keep my cool amidst the emotion. But God has called us to be leaders in our families, in our church, to show poise, to show self-control. Hardest one, be slow to anger. The last adjective I wanna highlight is not greedy for money. We live in a world of Money, 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 money. But a person's success is defined by the paycheck they take home. Who's someone you think is successful? I'll name a couple people that you ask the world who's successful you think. They'll probably say Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, and Jeff Bezos. They're considered more successful than Jane Doe, who's leading a women's ministry and is raising five children at home. That's our world, the one we live in today. Don't get caught up in that. It seems like everyone's chasing this big paycheck, which is exactly what this verse is trying to get us away from. It wasn't too long ago a certain preacher wanted money to buy a fourth jet. And how does that tarnish what we do here at 1360? How does that tarnish what the world thinks about us? Yeah, they're chasing the promotion, they're chasing the money, but you guys are doing it too. What makes you any different? It can be found in our own church. That being said, let's check ourselves. Are we chasing that dollar harder than we're chasing after the word of God? Question, ask yourself. I'll let you answer it. Oh man, we are so behind. Verse 8 but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, fully self-controlled. Family, two things to mention here. First is interesting how sober-minded goes closely in hand with not giving to wine, but it's a little more than that. And we approach a day where some mind-altering drugs are becoming more legalized and drugs are getting more accept- acceptable and illegal substances are becoming legalized by the government. But let me remind you where the church of, where the church stands on these controversial topics. Here we go, and we can think we can thank Paul for being so clear on this topic. It may be okay to live by the law of the land and participate in legalized recreational drugs, depending on where you live. Um, But the Bible says to keep sober-minded. Some people say, oh, I'm fine if I just have a little. I know my limit. I'm not driving. I do it only at home. But friend, the goal of Christianity is not how close can I get to the edge of sin without falling over. It's how far can I run away from the edge so I never had the chance to fall over. I get it. There's a group of people here that sometimes need certain drugs for medicinal purposes, even with a prescription, and that's fine. Just make sure you don't use the label of medicinal in order to keep your addiction a secret. And if it's medicinal, are you able to manage your symptoms while keeping sober-minded? sober, minded. Not only are you accountable to God, you're accountable to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Those watching your lives. As Christians, you're on display. You're on display not only here, at work, in your families, in the public. You're labeled. You have Jesus written on your back. If you're like me, you have Church Eight Sixty bumper sticker, everyone's watching my driving now, I can't cut that guy off, he's going to know where I go, we're responsible, and we uphold the name of Jesus Christ on a personal level. level, and we're his representatives, so make sure you represent them well. Second thing I want to mention. And the two words that hit home for me the moment I read this book was an overwhelming, reoccurring reoccurring theme that said, Danny, can you maintain self-control? We kind of brushed up on it already, right? Self-control, temperament. Take it a little bit of a different road though. Can you keep self-control in the face of a box of Oreos? The time I couldn't, to... or from getting another plate when you're not even hungry. Can you keep yourself control in traffic, or when another car cuts you off in a long line that you're all taking that exit? How hard is it to maintain self-control when arguments with your spouse are building and building? Can you hold yourself back from exploding? Can you maintain self-control when any part of your flesh tempts you? tempts you to sin. Guys, I found myself in the pantry, unable to stop, to stop myself from a double stuffed Oreo cookie. <laughs> it was even the stale ones. <laughs> They're so good, I like them softer. When you realize, what I want you to realize is that keeping self-control is almost impossible word, without help. His help. Without his help. Help from the Lord. Please know that without God, you are powerless. What did we learn in Zechariah 4, verse 6? Do you guys remember? By power. By my, mind, but by my, my man. Exactly. <laughs> not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. <laughs> by his spirit. That's how we have the power to overcome our temptations. (laughs) So what am I getting at? Self-find control? Seek God first. Seek God first. Dive into prayer. Dive into His Word. Ask Him for self-control. Ask Him for wisdom to overcome your struggles. Jesus said in Luke 11, verse 9 through 13, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you, Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks you for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of Him? I love that verse. Thank you, God. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Wow. I love that. I love reminding myself that what father doesn't want to bless his own son? What father doesn't want to give his children the best? You're raising your children. Do you not want the best for them? My parents told me, I want you to live a life better than I ever had. And I know for my son, I want him to live a life better than I will ever have as well. Ask him for self-control. Verse 9. Holding fast to the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine to exhort and convict those who contradict. In other words, what's the point of all this? By practicing these traits in conjunction with teaching and knowledge of his word, we will have the tools to do the great commission as commanded by Jesus himself. Go out into the world and make disciples of all nations. Save the sinner. Ever wondered what's your purpose in life? That's it. Lead others to Jesus. Simple as that. Do you feel you don't have sufficient knowledge to defend your faith by the scriptures? Maybe you're new, maybe you're new to Christ and you just don't know the Bible. You're coming here, you don't know yet. I've been walking with Christ since I was in the fourth grade-ish, something like that. I think that's when I officially started. And through my teenage years, I, I think I got baptized like four times just because I always needed a restart. <laughs> and, but I've, I want to say I started in the fourth grade, I don't know everything. I don't, I don't know, I feel like I don't know anything actually. (laughs) You're always going to be learning. So maybe that's you. You don't feel like you have sufficient knowledge to defend your faith to your friends, to people who ask you. That's why you're here, to digest His Word, to learn. That's why we may take notes. That's why you listen to teachings on the radio. That's why you read the Bible every morning and every night, to learn His Word. And if you're not doing those things, if you slipped up the last few months, and if you don't know how to do these things, today could be the day to get back on track. And if you still need help, ask someone. Ask one of the leaders. We will never turn away anyone looking to seek God. I promise you that. Alright, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push for the end, guys. Bear with me. Here we go. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision whose mouth must be stopped, whose, subvert, whose whole household teaching things which ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. So wait, let me make this clear. Just because you're circumcised, or if you're circumcised, doesn't mean you're a deceiver. Let's get that clear right, right off the bat. Don't read it like that. This is referring to those, some of those people at the time who have infiltrated the church and stand by Judaism beliefs over the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do I mean? The people there who considered themselves part of the church um, were bad apples in the bunch. They didn't submit themselves to the authority of Jesus Christ, overcoming the law of Moses. They believed that the law of Judaism was more powerful and was still in effect, that Jesus dying on the cross didn't really save them. They put in all these extra notes inside parts of the gospel and creating their own gospel, so to speak. That's what we're talking about. False doctrine, right? Do not submit. They don't submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. They which included the need for circumcision, actually. That's what that's referring to. Those people needed to be dealt with. They were considered false teachers and typically used false doctrine for personal financial gains. Paul says they needed to be shut up. They will rip the church up from each other. First of all, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Sounds like me. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they be sound in the faith, not giving heed to the Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. I like the way the ESV starts with It's one of the Cretans. This was uh, most likely written by someone named Epid- uh, Epimenides. Epimenides, I had this word nailed, but now it's gone. <laughs> Epimenides, a famous Cretan writer who probably said this and made the statement It was well known. And it was true. The people on the island of Crete were jerks. They were tough people. And it's funny that they put Titus in Crete because the Cretans being so bad, if you were to put someone possibly like Timothy, probably would have gotten trampled on. Putting someone more mature in the faith, someone strong to serve for that island, it just makes all the sense. Side note there. (laughs) Not even what I was planning on talking about. But all the same, Cretans were, in fact, notorious for being liars and cheaters. Um, the church in Crete had been infiltrated by false prophets, false teachers, those who were not fully committed to the salvation of Jesus Christ and their old Jewish ways and rituals. Um, Paul talks a lot about false prophets in many, many ways, and it's never in the positive light. I'm sorry, <laughs> I know. I don't like my voice either. So, Alright, here we go. Finishing up the chapter. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their minds and conscience are defiled. They, to know, they profess to know God, but in their works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. We should pray for a pure heart. Try to focus your life on remaining pure. Not speaking of just sexuality, but in your speech, in your actions, and your thoughts. Pray that you would receive the messages you hear at Church Day 60 with a pure heart. You should know that the leadership here will always try to rightly divide the Word of God. We will never ever construct our messages to try to point out someone's sin or try to manipulate you to do something I know you did wrong? Never. You can guarantee that this leadership at Church, at Church 860 is going to try to rightly divide the Word. So, remain pure in heart. We have no malicious and sense to try to play Holy Spirit in your life through the messages that you hear. But there have been people who go to church and feel like that they need to get back at their pastor for doing those types of things and not realizing that it was just the holy spirit working in their hearts it's the bad apples the false teachers the unbelievers the deceivers and the doubters that will take a pure message and interpret it with a rotten motive And therefore, try to get back at God, try to get back at the church. They turn away from God altogether. And those are the people that Paul is talking about here. Chapter 1 doesn't have the most upbeat ending, uh, but it's the beauty of going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, right? It goes as as it gives it to us. So we'll pick up in chapter 2 next week. Um, Every first Sunday of the month, we participate in communion, so with Andrew, would you mind helping us out? We're going to have Andrew pass out the elements, and as you're sitting there and receiving the elements, I just want you to bow your heads and pray. Would you pray for a pure heart? We're going to pray together, and I want you to think about what Jesus died on the cross to do. He took them all. He took all that sin. He took all your temptations and He said, throw them on me. Life is not easy. Life's full of sin. This world is not perfect. Thank you, Adam and Eve. But it's taking all those temptations and putting them there at the foot of the cross and saying, God, I can't do it on my head. With you, I can. With you, I can do anything. I want that heart, not just on Sundays. But take that heart to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. That's why we have men's and and women's meetings. Because I said I, I need a refill in the middle of a week. First Sunday of the month. But like. keep in mind, communion can be done every single day. You could do communion every time you have a meal. It could be a bottle of water and a few bag of chips. It doesn't matter. But we do it here just in remembrance of the way He did it at His Last Supper. He said, "Here is my the bread." Presents his body broken. And I like to do is I like to look at the cracker and I see the little puncture holes and it reminds me of what his body went through on the way to the cross. He was beaten, forged, whipped, crown of thorns placed on his head. His body was badly bruised. You know what it's like to have been beaten and then have to walk with a massive wood plank on your back? Walk at all and then have to go die for you. He did that for you. So, as we take a need of this, remember his body broken for you and all that pain he went through for your sin. So, we take a need. My blood that was poured out for you." And he did, he poured out his blood. I think about the soldier that pierced his side of water and blood came gushing out. Humiliating really because the Son of God, our Savior, punctured dead on the cross. And that blood purifies us. So we take and drink this in remembrance of, his blood poured out for ourselves. Will you guys stand? Lord, Father, we want to thank you so much for this time that you've, you've given us here, Lord. And we have the ability to gather together as a congregation, Lord, and call ourselves Church A60. We're not a people. We don't have uh, membership cards, Lord. We, just are, we know that we're members of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And we're members of your salvation. And we just like to get together as brothers and sisters in Christ and praise you. We want to thank you for salvation. And we want to thank you, and we want to ask you to teach us how to be holy, how to be righteous as your Son was righteous. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sins. And we ask, Lord, that we don't remember that just today, Lord, that we would carry that on through the week. We ask that you let us be lights to our co-workers to the rest of our families and even to strangers Lord. We want to proudly represent your name on our backs at all times. God give us encouragement throughout the week. And we ask you, uh, Lord, if there's any heart here today that's been turned, Lord, that wants to start new, Lord, start refreshed. Or wants to accept you all together. Please have them come up after the service, Lord. And ask you for salvation. Ask you for cleansing by your holy name that we gather here. We thank you. We love to sing, I love you, Lord, at the end of our services. And Lord, God, we just want to embrace that with our hearts. Thank you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.